The views and opinions expressed on coffee and compatibility are those of the podcast host and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Ashi. Hi, and welcome to Coffee and Compatibility. I am Dr. Eric Weimer. Uh, I am at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm an assistant professor here uh, in the Department of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine, and I am the associate director of our HLA laboratory at UNC. Uh, with me today is our co-host, Dr. Kelly Hitchman. Hey, everybody. Hey, Eric. I'm Kelly Hitchman. I'm the HLA Laboratory Director at UT Health San Antonio, um, where it's nice and much warmer than where Eric is. Yeah. Today is one of those dreary, wet, rainy days in North Carolina. But you know what? That doesn't matter because today is our first Ashi podcast. It is our very what? first coffee and compatibility. Uh, so we are lucky today to... Uh, have a very special guest with us today. We are going to talk with Ashi President uh, Dr. William Hildebrand. Yes, I'm hoping he lets us call him Willie. Yeah, it's much easier than saying Dr. Hildebrand over and over again. It's yeah. easier than my last name, but I do I do really hope that we get to call him Willie. Do you have people call you Dr. W instead? Yeah, unfortunately, I do. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> I prefer Eric, Dr. Weimer, E. E was my childhood nickname, as uh, some of my uh, distant aunts and uncles used to call me uh, E as I was growing up. Now, you know, every meeting you go to and everybody who's listening to this podcast is going to start being like, hey, E, what's up, E? So four people are going to call me E now as I just gather. <laughs> Oh no, you're going to get way more listenership than that. Oh, well, I'm going to need, I'm going to need you to share some childhood nickname now. Otherwise, oh, oh, need, I need the, the field oh. to be leveled here. Oh, we're getting very personal now. Very personal now. Okay. Right the so gate. I, I will tell you, uh, I'm so used to being called it by my family that I'm not, I don't even have any pride about it anymore. My nickname is Pooja slash Poo. Not the Christmas poo kind of poo, but poo as in I actually had an uncle whose name was Poo. And so my parents just decided that that was going to be my nickname. And now that's on everybody's podcast listenership. So if people come up to me in meetings and start calling me that, I'm going to blame you, Eric. <laughs> I literally was trying not to laugh the entire time you're speaking. It's but okay, it's just too funny. Sorry. It's just too funny. I mean, that's, that is exciting to know about you and i will forever email you with that as the title now yes thank god i've had my coffee this morning well i think uh, i think the audience has probably learned more than enough about us um uh, so we're we're super excited everybody about our very first episode of coffee and compatibility i hope you'll stick with us we'll be right back in just a moment with a very special guest Ashi President William Hildebrand. 
The American Society for Histocompatibility and Immunogenetics is an international society of professionals dedicated to advancing the science, education, and application of immunogenetics and transplant immunology. The benefits of ASHI membership include online subscriptions to various ASHI publications, opportunities for CE credits, discounted meeting registration fees, free access to ASHI University, and much more. ASHI also provides group discounts when two or more members from the same institution sign up together. Visit www.ashi-hla.org and click the join button to learn more today. Welcome back. We're here today with the 2021 ASHI president, Dr. William Hildebrand. Dr. Hildebrand is the professor of microbiology and immunology in the School of Medicine at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. He's the director of the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center High Resolution HLA Typing Laboratory. And what is probably a really cool aspect of what he has done is he is the scientific founder and chief scientist at Pure MHC and Pure Protein Biotech Companies. So welcome, Dr. Hildebrand, how are you? I'm great today, how are you? Doing all right, sir. Do you mind if we call you Willie? That would be fantastic. So thank you for joining us. Uh, one of the first things I wanted to talk about with you today is just sort of, you know, how did you get started in ASHI and HLA in general? I always find this to be quite an interesting topic to, to talk about with everyone. I'll try and be brief, Eric, and then you and Kelly can draw more out of me if need be. Um, I started a character, I, I wanted to study viruses, and the virologist at the institution where I was getting my master's and PhD was not an appetizing choice for my career. And so I decided to pursue the MHC molecules, which alert the immune response of virus infections. So I began studying the major histocompatibility complex in mice. And from there, I segued into studying the major histocompatibility complex in humans in Peter Parham's lab as a postdoc, and continued uh, to study the major histocompatibility in mice, humans, non-human primates, uh, dogs, uh, all kinds of species. Wow, that is a diverse background. Uh, so you mentioned doing other animal species outside of sort of the traditional science of, you know, mouse or human. Uh, do you want to elaborate some more on what it is like to work on dog MHC? We're just beginning that project. We, our grant will begin, we have a grant proposal with NIH that will begin this spring. And what we're going to do is um, canine tumors are a problem. And so what we've done in humans, and we, we discussed this at an ASHI meeting, we just developed precision medicine or personalized medicine for melanoma vaccines. We're going to do this in canines as well. So in the dog, we're gonna to begin to characterize the MHC, look at the tumor peptides that are presented by canine MHC, and then we're going to try and implement precision immune therapies for cancer in dogs using what we learned about the canine MHC. Oh, that, that is fantastic. Um, if you want to, uh, the next thing that I was trying to, to get to talk to you about is sort of 
you know, what is the aspect of sort of your background or sort of evolution into Ashi HLA that, you know, most people don't know? I feel like there's always that one little anecdote that a lot of people have. Um, what's, can you talk to us about what yours is? The reason we started, I started studying MHC molecules as a graduate student, we wanted to learn. We knew that these molecules were polymorphic and that we all had different MHC molecules. But at that time, I'm old. I don't know if I want to say what year that was. But, but at that time, we didn't know how these differences were arising, where in the MHC molecules they were arising, yeah. how frequently they were arising. So there are mice that differ only in their MHC. And so there were, there were a couple scientific couples, husband wife teams that would graft tissue grafts back and forth between mice until they found a mouse that rejected a tissue graft. So these mice were identical. They would graft back and forth and the grafts took because the mice were inbred and identical. But every once in a while, they found a mouse that rejected the tissue graft. And I, I don't know if that's a story you were looking for, but not many people in transplantation realize there are mouse strains that differ only in their class one or class two MHC. The mice are otherwise identical, that these mice reject transplants. And they're a very interesting model to study the impact of, of MHC polymorphism on transplantation. You could see how particular amino acid substitutions in class one or class two MHC promote or provoke transplant rejection. And that's the model I started in. And not many people are familiar with that animal model where the mice are 100% identical except for a mutation in their MHC molecules. Yeah, no, I think that, that's a fascinating story. I mean, I not exactly what I was targeting, but it's actually probably better than what I was going for. So I appreciate that. Well, um, you have to give me you have to give me a little leeway here. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I understand that. Uh, so to get to you know why we asked you to be on uh, this episode, can you share with us you know sort of how you see Ashi evolving in the the years to come with all that's going on in the field of transplantation? How do you see Ashi and HLA evolving? I think we're, we, I think we want to have a balanced perspective. We know that ASHI is grounded or founded in transplantation, histocompatibility, and immunogenetics. So it's kind of home for the nomenclature committees for characterizing new HLA alleles and molecules. And it's kind of ground zero for understanding HLA polymorphism and its impact on transplantation. So we know that that's our foundation. At the same time, you can begin to see that other fields are really coming to appreciate the role that HLA molecules play in, especially as we talked about earlier with the dog, the canine yeah. tumor therapies. You can really see that the cancer community, the oncology community, recognizes now that if you want to kill a tumor with your immune system, you're going through HLA molecules. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that there's this sort of growing evidence and momentum that you're seeing play out, not only 
in the literature, but in the sort of popular press, right? In, in the evolution of sort of immunotherapeutics in cancer patients. So I certainly agree with that, with that perspective. Uh, any other avenues you see us evolving into? Sure. So, so that's one. So that's, that's been an enormous area of expansion is the immuno-oncology. The other area of expansion that you're just starting to see, COVID-19 slowed it down, but is autoimmunity. So there was somebody I met at uh, an ASHI meeting many decades ago, Pieri Santamaria, and he started a company called Parvis. Parvis just partnered with a company called Genentech. And what they're doing now is they're determining which HLA peptide complexes trigger autoimmune responses. And then once they determine which HLA peptide complexes are driving autoimmune responses, they're shutting off the autoimmune response while leaving the rest of your, so rather to give you broad immunosuppression when you have autoimmunity, like they give a transplant patient, they're learning how to shut off just the autoimmune response, leaving the rest of your immune response in place. And this is gonna carry right back to transplantation. They're gonna learn how to shut off your immune response to the transplanted organ without giving you as much broad immunosuppression as they give you now. So you could see that I would say autoimmunity, allergy, transplantation, but precision medicine working through HLA, which, which we've been doing forever by matching transplant patients. I mean, the HLA community has been doing precision medicine forever because we've been matching people. Yeah. But you can see that HLA is getting a real foothold in, in oncology and now in autoimmunity. So I think that's fascinating. Um, how do you, what are your thoughts on the timeline for that? Are we talking, you know, one year, two years? Are you thinking that is five years? What's your, what's your thought on that becoming a more dominant role in the histocompatibility labs? Boy, that, that's a, that's kind of a, that's a tough question, Eric. I mean, let's look at where we're at. I mean, we started this, well, we, a year ago, we didn't have COVID-19. Now we have a vaccine for COVID-19. Um, and no one thought that we were going to have a COVID-19 vaccine this quickly. So the, I, I think you're starting to see the paradigms change in how quickly immune, immune therapies can be implemented. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I can't say for certain, yeah. but we've just we just completely destroyed the vaccine development model that we've been using yeah so it's really going to be interesting now and, and the other thing is the private public partnerships the, never before would academic government and corporate labs have been could have used billions of dollars of public money to develop a therapy, an immune therapy or vaccine this quickly. That never would have been allowed or could have happened before. So is that, gonna, is that type of cooperation going to continue as we work on things for transplantation, autoimmunity and oncology? Or are we gonna go back to the separate, everybody be having to step into their own lane and stay in their own lane? Yeah, I, I really hope that we can continue this sort of public-private collaborative experience we've seen sort of play such a prominent role in 
uh, the rapid development of the COVID vaccines that you mentioned. Um, I think that they really could implement uh, some of the immunotherapeutic approaches that you're mentioning uh, quite quickly within the, the transplantation field. So let's let's hope that that continues to play out as it has for the the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, is there those were sort of the the major questions that we were trying to to get across and talk with you about today. Um, is there uh, anything else you want to to convey to us about your thoughts and and vision for the the HLA field? I would say uh, it, just to go back to what we were just discussing the private public yeah. partnerships. I think that'll be a two steps forward, one step back process. So I think people will recede a little bit, you know. But I think you can really see people recognizing how powerful it can be when we all work together. The no, other I thing totally I would, agree. Totally the other agree. thing I would say is, is, is that I've been talking, how, how was it possible that we came up with a, if you, so I was asked to be ASHI president and I'm not, I, I have clinical transplant responsibilities, but they're not excessive. I've branched out into HLA and other areas. And some people thought it would, would be good to have an ASHI president who maybe stepped outside of what is a traditional ASHI president and others don't think it's so good. So, and, and I think it's good to, as we said before, I think it's good to have a balance. You know, I mean, the next president will be Annette Jackson. Annette's got both research and uh, clinical responsibility. So she'll have a good balance, but the, I, I do a, I, I'll do a round table in an hour or so on COVID-19. And I was just studying for the last couple of days. How, did the, how was it that this COVID-19 vaccine arose so quickly? And how, is, how might that be relevant to ASHA, right? So this, that Moderna and Pfizer, who have the RNA vaccines, how was it they were able to do this in 10 months when no one thought it would be done in years, let alone months? Well, they were studying RNA therapies for genetic defects. So they were delivering RNA for the past seven or eight years, starting about 2010, to treat uh, genetic defects. Yeah. But it didn't work out. But they had mastered all of the packaging of the RNA inside nanoparticles, the lipid composition, the stability of the lipids around the RNA. They started with siRNA, then they moved to mRNA, and they were going to phase one, maybe get the phase two clinical trials, but they didn't get any farther treating these therapies. At the same time, but they had the infrastructure to make these RNA therapies and deliver them. Yeah. At the same time, Zika virus came along. And teams like Mike Diamond's team at Washington University decided to take the Moderna RNA therapy and try it as a vaccine using this accelerated push by the government to try and develop a Zika virus vaccine. And it worked. And so if you look at, you couldn't script how these pieces came together. It, you, there's no way you could script how these pieces came together. And I think that's what some of our some of us have a vision for ashi you don't know how hla is going to be utilized for autoimmunity for oncology 
for allergies, for transplantation, and for infectious disease. But you know it will be. And so if we, fertile, if we, if we keep all of those areas fertile, I think then we're going to see the future of Ashi expand to include more of those other areas in addition to transplantation. So that's all I wanted to say. I think that we can't always anticipate where things are gonna go with HLA, but I think if we remain vibrant in transplantation and outside of transplantation, we're gonna have a lot of growth opportunity for those in our society. Well, Dr. Hildebrandt, this is Kelly. I'm very excited to see where ASHI grows in the next year with you at the helm. Uh, it sounds like we're going to go in some really uh, innovative directions, and I think everybody in the field is really excited about that. And along those lines, I'm really interested to get your take on how you feel about HLA labs using the techniques and technology that have been really developed in our area and applying them to areas outside of HLA. Uh, I think many people have probably heard by now that um, not too long ago we lost um, Dr. Duska Dragoon, who was really innovative in the direction of study for the impacts of non-HLA antibodies in solid organ transplantation. And so that has been a charge that many HLA labs have taken up, testing for non-HLA antibodies and applying that work to um, solid organ transplant outcomes. And now there are many companies you know, that have developed these uh, cell-free DNA assays, um, these liquid biopsies, which I know a lot of HLA laboratories feel like they would love to bring in-house so that they can use the equipment they already have at their disposal to do this testing. How do you feel about that? What other types of non-HLA testing do you think HLA labs are well-suited and primed to adapt to their clinical practices? Well, I, I think, Kelly, you, you pretty much nailed it. I mean, ASHI has really good experience characterizing serologic antibodies to organs. If the targets of these antibodies, the, the amount of antibody, the strength of the interaction, the applets that are recognized. So I think you could see that we could take our experience with HLA and segue into other fields. The COVID-19 test. There's a number of HLA labs that are running COVID-19 tests because we're so we have good diagnostic skills. We have, you know, we have all the proficiency testing and things in place. So it was not a stretch for us to take our skill set and spread into different areas. I think that you'll see that individual labs will do that for molecular tests and serologic tests. I'm more interested in driving our HLA expertise because. One common thing that we all, some of something like my lab has more molecular expertise and serologic expertise. So if I were to branch out, I would branch out more molecular uh, tests. Other labs are better, maybe have serologic strengths and they might branch out in serologic tests like you just described. I, I think that if you looked at our keynote speaker for our, for our ASHI annual meeting, Mark Davis, Mark Davis is talking about characterizing T cell recognition of all kinds in all kinds of diseases and without hla data he can't characterize his t-cell responses so i could see that just based on hla typing you'll see the ability of hla labs to provide data to these people that are going into oncology and allergy just with hla type too so i think that there's many opportunities there's going to be some common threads like the hla typing thread and then there's going to be 
each lab stretching out and other labs catching up. So I think that the growth potential is enormous. I can't grasp everything that you're describing. I mean, you've got some opportunities that, that I can't grasp, but I, I'm kind of just focused on the HLA opportunities and those are enormous. Yeah, absolutely. Along those lines, I'd also love to get your take on how you feel about um, the current course of diagnostic test development right now. Um, there are a lot of new products coming onto the market, a lot of things that HLA laboratories are looking to test and maybe implement um, in their clinical utility. And some of those products are coming onto the market without a lot of validation testing. And that can make things tricky for HLA laboratories because clinicians go to these meetings, they see these products, they think to themselves, wow, I wanna see that for my patients. Um, and so they immediately you know, go back and ask their HLA laboratories to onboard these tests, which may or may not really have been efficiently validated. How can we work with our vendors on that? Uh, the vendors have really, really appreciate the HLA community. I think the vendors, the vendors are looking for growth potential and growth opportunities. And so they're looking to be able to bring new assays online to grow, um, to expand. We're, we're gonna balance that. We've got a really good crew of volunteers. We have really good committees at ASHI. We're very, very, you know, we communicate well with the physicians. I mean, I've seen some directors and supervisors at ASHI that are, the physicians rely incredibly heavily upon. So the physicians really recognize our HLA expertise, really respect our HLA expertise. We've got a really good director training program. We've really got a good technologist training program. So we've really trained people up, not only in how these tests work, but how to communicate with physicians. And I think that as long as we communicate with our physicians and we as a society are, we're fairly nimble. We communicate well with each other. We're pretty nimble. I think that we can keep up right now. We're able to maintain very good standards for implementing, implement, implementing new tests. And we communicate well with our physicians on them. So I think sometimes, you know, these, these, vendors are under a lot of pressure to expand and grow. I think they work pretty well with us knowing that if the HLA labs don't accept, don't buy into this and it's not well controlled, they're going to fail. So I think they work pretty well with ASHI, the directors, the supervisors, the technologists in implementing these new tests. Um, I think every once in a while, like you said, things you know accelerate a little faster than they might, but Two steps forward, one step back, again, I think is okay. Thank you very much for that, Willie. It sounds a lot like uh, what we were talking about earlier in the uh, private-public partnerships and you know, setting up those sorts of collaborations for the uh, you know, mutual benefit of uh, the patients we care for. So thank you very much uh, for your time today, Dr. Hildebrand. You're welcome, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys, for uh, tuning in and listening with us. Uh, we hope you really enjoyed uh, listening to this first episode. 
the uh, next episode uh, is going to have some really interesting content that we've been working really hard to brew up for you guys. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter at AshiHQ and Facebook at AshiHQ. Tag us with hashtag AshiPodcast. Is there something you'd like to hear us talk about? Email us your suggestions to info at Ashi-HLA.org.